Welcome, everyone, to the opening ceremony. I'm Matt Lauer, along with Meredith Vieira. Are you kidding me? Queen Elizabeth II. This is the most moving aspect of an opening ceremony. Most watched opening ceremony ever. I declare open the games of London. Messi Franklin. This is going to be gold. Yes. It's a Gabby gold. It's pure gold. This is Andy Murray's moment. The Americans are golden. Gold medal winner. The Olympic gold. Fab Five is going gold. Phoenix gets her gold. I can't say enough how amazing our team was. Richard Draws wins it. A moment of disbelief, like, did this really happen? You look really good yeah. in gold. Congratulations. Every time I watch it, I just get goosebumps and my adrenaline starts going. It's something we're never going to forget. Misty and Carey, three-peat Olympic gold. Oh, my goodness. Oh. World champion, Jesse Williams. And the pressure clearly just got to him. And Jordan Weber is out of the all-around. Lushong falls over that first hurdle. He's out. Symbolically running for the finish line. Redemption for the United States. Smiles on one side, the tears on the other side. You know, I, I actually, I do have a little confession to make. So I was looking up videos. So I wanted to open with a highlight video of last Olympics from four years ago. And uh, that was the NBC highlight video. I did find the BBC highlight video, but uh, there was a lot more British coverage there. So I thought, you know, better play to the crowd here. So there you go. There's all your Americans winning their gold medals. So, woo! So yeah, uh, in, in case you're wondering why I showed that video and you missed this, Friday night, the Olympics kicked off in Rio de Janeiro. Did anybody watch the opening ceremony? Anyone? Yeah, it was great, wasn't it? Me and my wife and the kids, we watched it. We played a great game while we were watching it. It's called um, That's Not a Real Country. And uh, I think we came up with about 10 that we're convinced aren't real countries. Because these I've never heard of half these places. These people are coming in. I'm like, seriously? That exists somewhere in the world? But apparently they do. And um, I, I love 
love the Olympics. Um, I, what I love about the Olympics is I feel like even if you're not a diehard sports fan, there's something for everyone. There's something that kind of, you know, everyone finds exciting about the Olympics. Maybe you're, you know, uh, whether it's gymnastics or swimming, uh, soccer, all these different sports that are in the Olympics and, and we get to watch. And the other thing I like about the Olympics is there's no real dominant country. I mean, yeah, obviously USA, China, uh, some of these countries, they, they, they get a lot of medals. But just because of that, they're not guaranteed. There are some countries that this is their specialized sport and they just, they bring runners or they bring horseback riders, whatever it may be. And they're the favorites because that's what their country. So you get to see all these different countries compete. It's wonderful. And um, we showed that highlight video there. That was from the Olympics four years ago in 2012. And they were hosted in a, a, a little town. You may have heard of called London. Uh, we were there as a family. My family and I were back on vacation four years ago in London during the Olympics. It was just a great time to be back. We got to kind of get caught up in all the Olympic spirits. And uh, while I was there, I'm like, man, I am not going to be in this country without trying somehow to get to some events. So we, uh, we managed to get some tickets. Casey and I got to go and see some swimming. And then uh, right here in this picture, you'll see me and Will four years ago. That's my middle son. We were at the Olympics to see the athletics, and it was just a phenomenal occasion. It was just a wonderful thing to see, and to be in that stadium with people from all over the world cheering on was just, just fantastic. But the reason I'm talking all about Olympics this morning is, is obviously it's just been on TV, and it'll be on TV the next two weeks. You'll read all about it. You'll read stories of great victories and great disappointments, and it's just going to kind of catch up our whole lives over these next two weeks. Well, I kind of come to the conclusion that uh, there was another sports fan in the Bible. His name was Paul. And if you're familiar with the letters that Paul wrote in the New Testament, he wrote to, to several different churches about what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. Uh, very often, you'll find Paul, as he's talking in these letters he's writing, using sports metaphors, sports analogies. He's, he talks about sports a lot to kind of tie in to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I think Paul was a bit of a sports fan. I think Paul probably had ESPN radio playing in his chariots or, uh, you know, ESPN at home. And I just think Paul was very aware because people living in that culture were very aware of the sports that were going on. Sport was as big back then as it is now. So Paul would use these, these stories and these ideas, and he would talk about you know, what it meant to be an athlete. He would talk about examples of discipline and training and working hard. And for Paul himself, as a follower of Jesus and as a missionary to the church, I think he used sport to kind of show that, for me, this isn't just, an, this isn't just a, a hobby. Paul was saying, I'm not just doing this as a pastime. I'm like an athlete. I'm, I'm not just on some Sunday afternoon co-ed team. I'm competitively chasing after a medal here as I pursue Jesus in my life. In fact, he talks this way when he writes to the followers of Jesus in a city called Corinth, which would have been in Greece back then, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. Paul says, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete. I'm training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. 
You say, I think Paul was writing to these people in Corinth because he knew that they would understand this analogy, this metaphor that he's using of athletics. You see, in that city in ancient Greece, uh, the people would have been very familiar with the Olympic Games. They would have been running now for 700 years. That's when the ancient Olympic Games began, 700 years BC. So they would have been going on um, at that time. But also, on top of that, outside of the Olympics, um, there in Corinth, there were some games called the Isthmian Games. They were very famous in that particular area. And Paul knew this. The Isthmian games were described as follows. The celebration was a season of great rejoicing and feasting. The contests included horse, foot, and chariot racing, wrestling, boxing, musical and poetical trials, and later, fights of animals. Now, I was surprised when I read that little historical excerpt there to find that synchronized swimming hadn't yet made it to the Isthmian games, but I'm sure it was uh, still to come here pretty soon. But Paul's writing to these people because he knew they would be very familiar with this, this metaphor, this idea of sports and training and the athletes that prepared. In fact, the crazy thing was, these athletes, they worked hard and they trained hard and they disciplined themselves. And you want to know what the prize was that they got? If they won their event, if they were the winners, this was their prize. It was just a, a thing made out of plants. It was a, a crown. The Isthmian Games, it was a pine crown. The Olympics, it would have been the, the other kind of leaves there. But that's what the athletes were preparing for. So when Paul writes those words to the people of the church of Corinth, what he's saying is, and he's, he's kind of picturing them reading this letter, and maybe they were reading it in a home, but they were aware of an athlete, or maybe they were outdoors and they could see the gymnasium where the athletes trained. But in reading those words, Paul knew that they would be picturing these athletes. And, and this, is the Paul that he was, this is the point that Paul was trying to make. He was saying, hey, you see those guys over there? You see those guys who are preparing to be athletes, who are preparing and training? He knew that those athletes would spend months and months in training. That they would live on a strict self-denying diet. They would refrain from wine and pleasant foods. They would endure cold and heat through all sorts of laborious discipline. Paul's saying, you see those guys? You see everything they go through? That's how I feel about following Jesus. That's what it means to me to be a, a pursuer of Jesus, to be somebody that, that lives to proclaim Jesus. You see those athletes? That's how I find myself. It's almost like he's challenging them as he writes that letter, and he's asking them this question, how bad do you want it? How bad do you want it? Because that's how hard I'm working in my relationship with God right here. That's how hard I'm pursuing after God. That's how hard I'm, I'm pursuing God to, to make him known to others. How bad do you want it? Paul was kind of challenging them, much like a coach would challenge any athlete to say, come on. He's got so much in store for you. How bad do you want it? In fact, I want to talk this morning about three different areas that I think would have inspired Paul to, to discipline himself and to be like an athlete in training. That first is this idea when you would think of how bad you want it for the sake of those who don't know Jesus. How bad do you want it for the sake of those that don't know Jesus? Paul was saying, I am so passionate about this. I know what Jesus means to me. And I want others who don't know him to experience that as well. 
I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to discipline myself. I'm going to be like an athlete in training because I want to do whatever it takes to reach those that don't know him. You know, here at Connect, that's kind of a passion of ours. We love that you're here this morning. This is fantastic. But the reality is we don't actually just exist for these Sunday morning experiences. We feel that our heart here at Connect is is to, to find people outside of Connect who maybe don't know Jesus, don't have a church home of their own. We want to share with them the, the wonderful difference that God has made in our lives. We really want that badly, so um, we do whatever it takes. An example of that is something that took place just yesterday. We had an event called Family Fun Fest. You can see the some pictures there of some of the uh, activities that took place. I know, look at that. There's me with a ridiculous snake around my shoulders. You know, if you were here for this event, you, I'm sure you had a fantastic time. And if you weren't, it was just an amazing time. We had so many people come along, and uh, all afternoon long, the parking lots were full. Kids were everywhere playing games. It was just a wonderful, wonderful event. I heard from several different people, wow, this, this must have taken a lot of work. This must have taken a lot of putting together, and it did. Alicia Bambrick, who works with our K-5 through kids, she did a fantastic job of kind of overseeing it. She had a team of leaders who helped her, and then under those leaders were hundreds of volunteers, and, and literally over 100 volunteers were needed to pull this whole event off. And it was just so great to see everyone that played a part in it. And the truth is, it was a lot of work. It took a lot of energy and a lot of time and a lot of dedication to put this all together. But it's because at the heart of Connect, we ask this question, how bad do you want it for the sake of those who don't know Jesus? You see, maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you came to this event yesterday and that that drew you back here this morning. We love doing this. We love blessing our community. We love putting on a really great event for children and saying, we think children are awesome. We want you to enjoy this event. But we're hoping that for some people, maybe taking a step from where they're at into church, that's a big first step. For some, that can be very difficult to make that. And, and maybe coming along to Family Fun Fest yesterday made that a little bit easier. We had people, family sat in these chairs yesterday watching the movie Zootopia. Now they've been once to an event that Connect puts on. Maybe coming along on a Sunday morning won't be quite as big of a step next time. Maybe it was an opportunity for you to invite some friends or family along to this event and say, that church I keep telling you about, this is what they've put on. You should come on a Sunday, check it out. It was a lot of work and a lot of energy, but, but like Paul, we, we, we were willing to do that. We were willing to put in whatever it took for the sake of those that don't know Jesus. And it's not just in the area of kids, across the board. So during the summer, our youth have had a bunch of activities going on. Our youth pastors, Justin and Caitlin, have, have worked really hard over the summer, and the, the volunteers that work with Connect Youth have worked hard. And they've put on these great events like team competitions and water games, and they took a whole group of kids to Six Flags. And it was hard work, and there's a lot of time and energy and effort that went into it. But the reason they're doing this is they wanted to create an environment where some of these teenagers could invite their friends. Say, come along, we're going to Six Flags. Come along, we're doing this team competition. All with the idea that these relationships would help connect them to connect youth to Jesus. See, some of these teenagers, they came from homes where maybe church isn't part of their, their makeup. 
Maybe these are teenagers who've grown up in homes where they don't go to church. They've not heard about Jesus. This is a great opportunity for our teenagers to invite their friends, but it took work. It took effort. But we were willing to do it. We were willing to work hard. Because like Paul, when he asked the question, how bad do you want it for those who don't know Jesus? We're willing to do whatever it takes. I heard a story recently about a man by the name of Howard Hendricks. Howard Hendricks, uh, he passed away a few years back, and uh, he was a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. He was a renowned professor, a very famous follower of Jesus, had a very um, great legacy that he left behind, and an impact on tens of thousands of students over the years that he taught, who then went on into full-time Christian ministry. And the amazing thing is, this great man, this great theologian, this great man of God, he tells the story of how he himself came to discover Jesus. He said he was nine years old and him and some friends, so we're talking back in the 30s here, him and some friends were just playing marbles. And this guy came along and he said, hey boys, would you like to come along to Sunday school? I'm a teacher at a Sunday school of the church. Would you like to come and be a part of the Sunday school? And Howard said, no. He said, nothing with the word schooling sounds fun to me at all. He didn't want to go to Sunday school. But this guy said, hey, I, I play marbles. Can I, can I join you guys? They're like, yeah. He says he got down and he started playing marbles and he was good. He was really good. He said, do you want me to teach you some, some tricks? They're like, yeah. So over the next few weeks, he would meet up with them and he'd play marbles and um, he was teaching them. And then there came a point where he said again, hey, would you like to come to Sunday school? And Howard Hendricks said at that point, we'd go anywhere. This was a great guy. Like he just taught us all these great new tricks with marbles. So yes, we went along to Sunday school. Now, I know some of the teenagers here are like, seriously, marbles? That was the... So you have to think, like, so he was playing Pokemon with them, okay? He was introducing them to new characters, and I can teach you how to reach a peekaboo or whatever they're called. And um, I know that's not what they're called. But uh, it was that connection that was made. Listen to what he said. I got this quote from Howard Hendricks after he was telling this story. He said that in this, this group at this Sunday school I ended up with, there was a dozen other boys, most of whom he'd magnetized in the very same way. Of the 13 boys in that class, nine were from broken homes. And 11 of those boys ended up in full-time vocational Christian work. He says, I was a kid who grew up and I wasn't a part of a church. My family hadn't been taking me to church. And this guy just came and spent some time with me. And I think of that in the context of what Paul was saying here. Paul was willing to discipline himself, to work hard. This guy, you know, he could have said to these kids, hey, you want to come to Sunday school? They said, no, he'd have just moved along. But he just, he was willing to do whatever it took to work hard. How bad do you want it for the sake of those who don't know Jesus? He was willing to spend some time with these kids. You know, I don't think when... Paul kind of issues this challenge when we ask ourselves this question, how bad do you want it? I don't think it's just for the sake of those who don't know Jesus. I think it's for our sake as well. It's for your sake this morning. How bad do you want it for your sake? Paul is saying, yeah, there's a, a great challenge here to discipline ourselves and to grow in our relationship with God because it'll make a difference to those around us that don't know Jesus. But you know what? It's going to make a difference in your life. It's going to change your life. How bad do you want it for your sake? You see, to Paul, being a follower of Jesus, it wasn't just a hobby. This was his whole world. He says, I'll tell you why I discipline myself, because this is everything to me. 
Everything in my life comes out of this relationship that I have with God. I'm passionate about my relationship with Jesus. Have you ever met someone who's, who's passionate about something in their life? Maybe it's a sport or a particular team or playing music or a band or whatever it may be. And it just seems that everything about that, that just it engrosses them. It engulfs their life. There was a, a baseball play, a player, a Hall of Famer by the name of Bob Feller. He was a major league pitcher for the Cleveland Indians back in the 30s. He played in the 30s, the 40s, and 50s. And when he was signed up in 1935, he was only 16 years old. And in his first start in 1936, he struck out 15 St. Louis batters. <laughs> Sorry, Cardinals fans out there. That was his first major league game. He went on to be famous for the fact that in 1938, he became the very first pitcher to strike out every batter in one game. So this is a pretty good player. And I'm sure there was a ton of natural ability in this, this young man, and that's why he played so well. But you know what? I think it was more than just the natural ability. Because I came across something that uh, he, he says here. He tells this story about when Bob Feller was nine years old, his teacher asked all the students in the class to write an essay about an oak tree. Here are the ideas that he put into his essay about an oak tree. An oak tree can be cut down and sawed into boards. You can make baseball bats out of them. You can also make home plates out of the boards. You can make bleachers out of the boards so people can watch baseball games. <laughs> this kid's nine years old, and when he sees an oak tree... He sees baseball. <laughs> that is going to make some bats, some bleachers, some home plates. At nine years old, it's no wonder that this guy played so well. Yeah, I'm sure there was some natural ability, but from the age of nine, this guy lived and slept and dreamt baseball. And Paul was saying, as he's writing to the church in Corinth, that's me. When I think about my relationship with God, when I think about the call that God has put on my life to, to proclaim Jesus to, to others around this world, I'm like an athlete. It's not a pastime. It's not a hobby. It consumes me. And he's challenging those who are listening, saying, will you do that? Will you let it consume you? Will you discipline yourself that it'll become a bigger part of your life? How bad do you want it? Now, I need to clarify something at this point because it can be an easy mistake to make. So I want to make it clear what Paul isn't saying. Because you see, he says that don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? Now, when talking about followers of Jesus, he isn't saying that all of you are following Jesus, but you'd better run hard because only one of you is actually going to win. Only one of you is going to heaven. Now, that's not what he's saying at all. In fact, when he wrote to another church in Ephesus, he said the complete opposite of that. Listen to what he said to the, the Ephesian uh, Christians. It said, God saved you, in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. And that's so that none of us can boast about it. So Paul's writing to these people in Ephesus and saying, listen, it's not how hard you work, it's not how good you are, it's not how well you behave. Your relationship with God, it was a, a gift given to you through Jesus so that no one can boast. In fact, to jump back to Paul's analogy here on sports, it's almost like he's saying, if you were born in Greece where Corinth is located, you're Greek. No one can take that away from you. 
There are athletes right now competing in these games, and they're citizens of Greece. And they may be the top of their athletic tree. They may be champions who get to wear the crown, but they are no more or no less citizens of Greece than anyone else. What Paul is saying is that it's not that you're working hard to be a follower of Jesus. That requires no work at all. That's a relationship that's been given to you by God. It is a free gift so that you cannot boast. That's given. Everyone here is a citizen of Greece, but there are some who are athletes. There are some who are saying, I'm more than just a citizen of Greece. I'm not just going to settle. Just, I'm going to be the best that I can be. Paul's saying, this gift that's been given to you, that's free, but now that you have it, what are you going to do with it? You're just going to hold on to it, or are you going to work to become the best that you can be? That's what Paul is saying is that um, I discipline myself. I want to pursue God. I want to understand all that I can about him. I want to understand the plan that he has for my life. I want to understand how this plays out in my life. And like diet or exercise, being a follower of Jesus and growing in your relationship with him, it's going to take some discipline. It'll take some time to say, and I'm going to make some time in my schedule to pray. I'm going to make some time to, to read the Bible, to meditate upon his word, to look for opportunities to come along to church like this, to maybe be a part of a small group so that I can understand more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, how I can apply that in my life. I want to overcome the temptations that I'm faced with every day, and that's going to take some discipline and some hard work. I'm going to have to deal with these setbacks and the obstacles that I face, some of which may cause me to question God without an answer. But I'm going to discipline myself. It's going to take some work here. And there was something about Paul that says, you know, I think it's worth it. I think it's worth putting in the time and the energy and the effort. As I was preparing my message, I uh, was kind of on this sports theme, and I found myself in a Cage Fighters online forum. I'm sure many pastors in their preparation for their sermons find themselves on a similar website, but uh, I wasn't in a Greek or Hebrew dictionary at that point. I was in an online forum for cage fighting, and I came across um, this particular quote, a legitimate quote from somebody who is a cage fighter, and this is what he says. I had my third match last night. Even though I broke my arm... I still won by knockout. I popped my shoulder out, and when that happened, I landed on it wrong and broke it, as well as two fingers. But that doesn't mean anything to me, because now I am two and one. <laughs> and I copied and pasted this. Please don't think, wow, that's, that typing's all wrong. No, I copied and pasted it exactly. So this guy may not win many spelling bees in his life, but I tell you what, he's going to win some fights inside a cage. And do you know why that is? Because he broke his arm, he broke two fingers, he popped out his shoulder, and he still won by knockout. This is somebody saying, this is hard work, this is painful, but you know what? I'm still two and one. Hashtag winning. <laughs> I mean, he's like, I'm working hard here. I'm willing to put up with whatever it takes, the pain, the energy. And I think that's kind of the spirit of what Paul's writing to that church in Corinth. He's saying, how bad do you want it? How bad do you want it for your sake? Because it's not going to be easy. Sometimes there'll be setbacks. Sometimes it'll be difficult. Sometimes it'll take a little bit of um, getting up earlier or, or coming to church on Sunday, whatever it may be. But that's how you'll get stronger. That's how you'll grow. That's how you'll be like those athletes out there competing for that prize. 
Yes, the, the fact that we do it for the sake of others that don't know Jesus, that's a worthy reason to do it, but it's for our sake as well, that we may become who God wants us to be. And as I was preparing this message, I thought, you know, I think there's even another area as well. I think as Paul was challenging these people, he's saying, hey, it's, it's for the sake of those that don't know Jesus. It's for your sake. But it's also for another group as well. It's for the sake of the followers of Jesus around you. It's not just for the sake of those who don't know Jesus. It's, it's not just for your life, but it's for those who are followers of Jesus and who are looking to you as an example. This could be your kids, your friends, your work colleagues, people here, a connect. People that you've told you're a follower of Jesus. People who are looking to you as an example of what that looks like. Because you see, as much as Paul loves Jesus, and as, as much as I know he was a passionate follower of him, and he would proclaim him to others, he would discipline himself, I wonder if there were days where he questioned if this was worth it. I wonder if there were days where he's like, you know, I just feel like throwing in the towel. Listen to what he wrote um, to the same church in Corinth in a second letter, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 25 through 27. He says, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. He wasn't in Colorado. He was in the Middle East. This was a different kind of stone. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I've faced dangers in the city, in the deserts, on the seas. I've faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I've worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I've shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. You thought you had a bad week? <laughs> Paul's saying, listen, I've gone through all of this stuff. And I have to wonder, like some athletes who have trained and maybe they've faced an injury or they're just, it's hard and they're just ready to say, ah, is this worth it? I just want to throw in the towel. I want to call a timeout right here. But something in Paul inspired him to keep going. And I wonder if that something was knowing that there were others that were looking to him as an example. Barnabas, and others who Paul talks about in his letters who were following on after Paul. And those days where he's thinking, how bad do I want it? It's not just for those who don't know Jesus. It's not just for me. But there are people who are following my lead. And I have a bit of a responsibility to, to show them the way, to kind of blaze a trail for them. Because it makes a difference. Four years ago at the Olympics, there was a, uh, a very interesting race that took place. It was the 800 meters, and uh, a guy won a gold medal. It was kind of fascinating. But there was something about the race that um, just really caught my attention. And I want to share that this morning with you. So take a look at this video, and then I'll tell you what it was. One of the highlights of the Olympic Games, the final of the men's 800 meters. The hot favorite, David Radisha of Kenya, aiming to smash his own world record. Radisha beaten only once in more than two years by this man, Mohamed Aman from Ethiopia, just 18 years of age. Two Kenyans in the field, the USA also with two runners. A race packed with young talent. 
Radisha in lane four likes to run from the front and that's what happened. His target to complete the first lap in 50 seconds and he was on schedule. Twice this summer he'd gone close to toppling his record and this time he was to beat it. Radisha was inspired to take up athletics after his father showed him the Olympic medal he won in 1968. Daniel Radisha was part of the Kenyan team that won silver in the relay in Mexico. No room for family sentiment from the opposition in an Olympic final, but it was clear from a long way out that the rest of the field were fighting for silver and bronze. This race was so fast that all eight finalists set personal best or seasonal best times. Radisha was to beat the world record, the greatest 800 metres performance in history on the biggest stage of all. So he wins the gold medal, breaks the record, but did any of you catch what the commentator said at the very end there? They were coming around, just coming up to the finish line about the other runners. Anyone catch that? What did he say? Yeah. That all of them in that race set seasonal or personal bests. In fact, let's take a look at the list right here. So, so he gets the world record. The guy right behind him gets a national record, then personal best, personal best, personal best, national record, seasonal best. Even my guy from Britain who came last ran the best race of his life. He finished in last place, and he still got his own personal best. See, it wasn't the fact that this guy won this gold medal. What I was fascinated by in this race is that, yes, he broke a world record. Yes, he won a gold, record, a gold medal. But he ran so fast that he got the best out of everyone else in the race. They all ran faster than they'd ever run because he pulled that out of them. And I think when Paul was writing to that church of Corinth, when he says, listen, I really am working hard at this, it's because he knew the, the, the better he could be, the better inspiration he could be to those around him. That he knew that there were leaders in those churches, people that were reading those letters and they were being inspired to move forward by Paul's example. And I wonder if Paul realized that not just the people reading his letter then, but 2,000 years later, we'd be looking at those same letters and we'd be as inspired today by Paul as the original audience back then. That like David Redisha, Paul pulls the best out of all of us because he inspires us to move forward. So here's what I want you to do over these next couple of, couple of weeks, I want, to ask, I want you to ask yourself that question. How bad do I want it? How bad do I want it? Because it's going to make a difference in the lives of my friends and my family who don't know Jesus. How bad do I want it? Because it's going to make a difference in my own personal life. How bad do I want it? Because I know there are people who are looking to me as their example. And I want to set a good example. So here's how I want you to focus in on that question. Over the next two weeks... You're going to hear a lot of talk about the Olympics. You're going to see sports on TV. You're going to get to see highlights in the evening. You're going to read stories of great triumphs and great defeats and motivational stories. And you're just going to be inundated with Olympic news over the next couple of weeks. Every time you hear some kind of Olympic story, I want that to take your attention back to this morning and cause you in that moment just to ask that question, how hard do I want it? Because Paul was writing this letter to a group of people who were very familiar with what it took to be a professional athlete, what it took to be in these Olympic or Ismanian games. And he said, that's what I'm aiming for as I pursue Jesus. So as you watch those athletes and think about all that they went through, let's thank God that we don't have to do anything 
to have a relationship with him, that's a free gift. But out of that free gift, like those athletes, let's say, I'm, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to do what it takes. I'm going to train. I'm going to discipline myself because I want to grow as a follower of Jesus. I want to reach others. I want to be an inspiration to those around me. Every time those sports come on. Father, as we close out this morning, I just pray that that would be a challenge for all of us here this morning. Because we are. We're going to get to see a ton of sports on TV and in the news over the next couple of weeks. So every time we see one of those athletes, every time we, we hear about the training that they've endured, every time we see someone and we realize how much they've been through, through diet and exercise and working out and disciplining themselves over the last four years to take them to this, this one moment, let that be a challenge to us, Lord, as followers of Jesus. To not let this just be something that's a hobby in our lives, but it becomes something that we want to pursue passionately. That like an athlete, we want to go after you and train and, and do what it takes in reading the word and praying and, and fellowshipping, getting together with other followers of Jesus and talking and, and growing. That we would make a difference, Lord, and we could reach those that don't know you. We could see the change in our lives. We could be an inspiration to those around us. Help us in that, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.